not only do you have to take the persona of being an instructor with kids, you have to understand, you have to perform in front of them if you want to keep them engaged. Ladies and gentlemen. Hi, everybody. Good evening. Are you ready? Keep this frequency clear. I know you're going to dig this. I am. Okay, here we go. Check, check it out. You're listening to the Martial Arts Media Podcast, where you, the martial arts school owner, gets insider tips and secrets from leading experts to help you build a more profitable martial arts business. Now, here's your host, the founder of MartialArtsMedia.com, George Faree. Hi, this is George Free, and welcome to another Martial Arts Media Business Podcast episode, episode number 43 we're at. Today I have a guest with me that I met at the main event in Sydney. I was fortunate enough to be able to share some uh, presentation at the main event, which is hosted by MA First, and I was able to, well, it, it was my first presentation, it was good to get to a live event and meet uh, Kiyoshi Fred De Palma, and then who also introduced me to Henry Kalantag. And I was told by a lot of God, sir, <laughs> a lot of um, some of my some of my customers and a lot of people that I engage with mentioned that Henry is top notch, and he's been helping them with instructors in well, helping them instruct their kids' classes. And everybody mentioned that they learned a lot from Henry. So, of course, I wanted to take the opportunity to get Henry on the show. So, welcome, Henry. Hello, George. Thank you very much for having me on. Awesome. So, we've got lots to talk about, but we're going to start, of course, right at the beginning. So, who is Henry Kalantok? I... My, my martial arts background, well, actually, let's go to a personal background. I am the first, I'm Filipino. Uh, you wouldn't know that because I'm over six feet tall. And so um, I, if you're familiar with any Filipinos, obviously, that's extremely tall. I was the, the tallest kid in the village. That's what we always make the joke with. Um, but I am the first generation of my family that was born in the United States. So my parents, of course, immigrated from the Philippines, Cavite, if you're familiar with where that little fisherman in the village is. Um, migrated here and I was born here and pretty much uh, we brought the rest of the family over. Um, did martial arts off and on when I was a younger child. Uh, did Tried to do a screamer and Kali younger because of a friend of a friend of my father knew how to do it and so we tried to train it in the backyard. Had a really bad experience with it uh, just because it was a very old school instructor and uh, my first class was putting my hand on the table while he was hitting my hand with a rattan stick. So uh, at the age of like eight years old, I didn't find that very entertaining. So I didn't want to come back. Um, dabbled in like a Taekwondo class. I don't even remember. I just remember getting the pajamas. I did a Taekwondo class like at the YMCA. I didn't like that either because I thought it was boring. We sat around too much and didn't do anything. Um, it wasn't until uh, I was raised in Reno, Nevada, if you know where that is. And Due to a job transfer, my mom moved out to uh, Arizona. We lived in Chandler, Arizona, which is a couple of miles from where I'm a direct student of uh, Kiyoshi Fred De Palma. I've been a student of his for 20 plus years, and that's where we found his school in 1994. And so um, it pretty much started from there. And the biggest draw for me was that classes were fun. 
that it wasn't just you know, my, my first two experiences, my hand was getting beat by a stick. And my second experience, we sat around and we just watched everybody do things and we didn't do anything. You know, I think we kicked it as a kid. I'm probably exaggerating. I might have kicked the pad five times in like a two hour class. And I just thought it was really awesome that with all the Kiyoshi De Palma's and my other instructors, Master Wilbur, who was his head instructor, as Jeff Wilbur was his head instructor of that school because I was a student directly under him. They just made classes really fun and engaging for a young tween kid, you know. And um, then I've been with them ever since. And from a professional standpoint, I have had every job at the martial arts school. I was obviously the student that went up. I did competitions. I helped out in classes. I moved up from helping out classes to being the guy who cleaned the bathroom, who cleaned the, the throw up at the end of a good class as somebody threw up in class, you know, those kind of situations. I mopped the floor. I mopped the mat. I did every job. Um, I eventually got moved up to just like an assistant role and then a job opened up at our school for program director, which is kind of ironic because we don't even have program directors that are any of our schools anymore. Uh, but it opened up. And so at like Purple Belt, I started being the program director of a school with over 300 active students. And I was a teenager in high school. So that was the. I was handling credit card payments. I was making enrollment agreements, contracts. I mean, I was I was getting a very, very early, um, uh, I guess, lesson of because how the martial arts world worked. Long story short, at the age of 19, I get sent out to run one of our satellite locations. And I have been running that satellite location, which I eventually bought several years later. Uh, and I've been doing that since March of 1999. So I have been the assistant the assistant's assistant, a program director, that means behind the counter, all the way to being a head instructor of a school, of a branch location, and now owning that school since 2001. So that, that's kind of the brief history of me. Um, I like to tell people, you know, everyone keeps mentioning like how I teach kids. It, was, it didn't even start off that way. And the, the funny story about it is one of the very first classes I ever helped out in I had kids walk off the floor because they were, ironically, I was telling you the story that I was bored in a Taekwondo class, nothing against Taekwondo to my Taekwondo friends. I was just bored, but I actually, one of my first classes that I was responsible for teaching myself, I had kids walk off the floor to sit with their parents because they thought I was boring in the class to now. I mean, um, one of the schools we, we visited was Dave Audie's school. And they were telling me that some of the little dragons that I taught while I was there, um, they were crying that I wasn't there the next day teaching them. And so it's kind of it's it's funny. It's a good it's a, it's a balancing act. And uh, and I, we'll, we'll kind of delve into what we do with um, the company that I'm a part of martial arts first and the different um, instructor colleges and instructor workshops that we do with communications. But uh, we'll, we'll delve into that more. But that's the background of me. Awesome. <laughs> so uh, I want to go back one step because it, it, it is a big thing for you to be first generation born in a foreign country. Yes. How do you feel? And, and just knowing, obviously, you, you teach a lot of kids and you in the American environment. How, how do you feel it's been different for you to grow up in a country where your, all your parents are from? Well, you as well are from the Philippines. But you, yes. yeah. Well, it's, it's, you know what? I have to honestly, there is, um, there, there was a language barrier growing up, not with me, but with my, especially my mother. 
my mother, obviously English was her second language. And this is actually a parallel that I brought up with my wife when we had a conversation today about patients. And I brought this parallel that one reason why I ended up being such a patient person, which eventually moved on to being patient with kids, was because I saw people treat my mom terribly because English was her second language. Now, not all Americans are like that, so don't get the wrong idea. But oftentimes, if people meet someone who who does have that language barrier, they already pass judgment on them right away. So like a good example, we'd be going to the store and my mom would struggle trying to communicate to, let's say, the cashier about something. And sometimes the cashier, let's be honest, the cashier could be this you know young kid who's just frustrated that he's at work that day. And so he's just rolling at his eyes because he just can't communicate. And then I come along speaking exactly like this, that has taken speech classes, that's done presentation skills from junior high all the way to where I am now. And I speak clearly and it completely surprises people. And so I think one of the first things is from being the first generation born, I got to learn patience right away because I had to be just watching people being impatient with my mom and with my brother who also had challenges as well, I learned to be patient. And it also made me understand that you can't judge people right off the bat. You have to look at them as this blank slate that's always something that can surprise you. And that goes when teaching kids because I find that sometimes old school instructors, especially the ones that we deal with when we, when we do our instructor workshops, that always say, well, I just can't teach children. You know, There's a certain age group that I just can't go past I find the reason why they do that is because they already judge that kids are that way instead of realizing that kids are this kind of open tapestry that you can keep adding upon, that that kid might be emotional at the age of seven, but they're going to be incredibly resilient by the age of 17. You know, don't, judge, don't pass judgment and say, well, that kid's always that way. And so I guess being first generation born, kind of answering your question a long way, kind of helped set my path in that direction, which I try to communicate a lot of times when we do our workshops. Fantastic. That's all right. So, so it's easy for you because you've, you've, you've lived through this and you experienced that. Now, when you do workshops and you have to actually teach instructors, okay, it's actually, it's almost, it's not your teaching, but it's, it's yeah. actually, I wouldn't say character, but it could be character in a way because you're just not patient and you can't deal with that. How do you go about actually teaching instructors that deeper level of understanding how to how to work with kids? Well, it, it's fun because um, in our last workshops that we were doing um, throughout Australia, one of the things that we covered were the fact um, there's three communicate there's three general communication styles that we talk about and three general ways that people learn: visual, verbal. And we call kinesthetic, which is basically hands-on. That's just like the big word that people use for it. So you have visual, verbal, and kinesthetic. And one of the first things that I go over in, in a lot of our instructor things is I ask the instructors, what type of learner would you characterize yourself? And let's kind of go further. So a visual learner is someone, for instance, um, kind of self-explanatory. You have to watch it. You have to see it. Um, a visual learner might be the kind of person who will say, hey, let me see you do it first before I do it. So they have to sit back and actually watch it and see the examples and, and whether it's teaching a kata or a form or it could be something as simple as the way you're supposed to fix something on your computer. They want to sit back and watch you physically do it. Um, a verbal learner is someone who needs explanation of why. 
well, why am I doing this? What's the purpose for me doing this? Explain to me the big reason for this. Um, I make the joke that my wife is a verbal learner because before we can act on anything, we have to have like a 15-minute discussion of why. And I'm more of a visual and kinesthetic person. I just see it and want to do it, but she wants the full explanation. So verbal learners are people who need to know the reasons. And kinesthetic, they just want to put their hands in it. They just want to get doing. They'll learn better by actually moving. And so one of the first things we cover when we do instructor workshops is we ask the instructors to self-evaluate. What kind of learner are you? After I just described what learning types are, what are you? Are you more visual? Are you more verbal? Are you more kinesthetic? What 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 is your primary learning style? Now, you always learn in all three ways, but you tend to push and feel more comfortable towards one direction. Once the instructors in the workshop kind of recognize exactly what type of learner they are, then I usually throw them a bomb and say, that's the reason why all your students are that type of learner, because that's the only one you know to tailor to. So if you're a visual learner, you teach visually. You, you teach by doing examples, but you don't necessarily explain why you're doing it. You just show them, this is why I'm doing this, this I'm doing this move, and let's just follow what I'm doing. So you tend to attract more visual learners because you go towards that. Whereas it's the opposite of your verbal, you have the why people and so on and so forth. And the big challenge that we make instructors understand is that if, for instance, if, which you get a lot of instructors who are very visual, we'll tell them, fantastic, you're visual. Keep doing that, but how can you improve your verbal communication and how can you for, um, perform or get better at your hands-on communication. That's always a fun thing to say. Um, more, it's easier to do because it's kinesthetic, it's hands-on. But how can you get better? Because when you teach something, you want to hit all three evenly, always, and consistently. Even, always, and consistently. Um, so like an example that we'll do in a workshop is you know, my base style is American Kempo. So I'll just teach a technique we call five swords, which is you know, you're blocking a, a roundhouse puncher or a haymaker, and we just kind of go through the movements of that. And I, I, through that example, will show the whole instructor workshop through the breakdown of the technique. So now they're learning something kind of fun to do. The instructors are, fun, are having fun because they're learning something new that's maybe off of their style, that's different from their style. And we're going through the technique, but then they're seeing how I'm visually demonstrating it. So I have, I'm in front of the class doing it while they're following me. I'm verbally explaining it, saying we have our body shoulder width. We have our hand going towards the neck because the neck is open and the line of sight is easier from striking from here to there. So I'm explaining why I'm doing every certain move. At the same time, I might be having them doing it on a partner at the same time I'm explaining it and visually doing it in front of them. If that kind of makes sense. If you, and I know you've been to the work. You kind of saw me do a little bit of work when we were at uh, the main event. So that's in one five-minute section, I'll demonstrate how to do all three teaching styles, all three communication styles, and get it in a way where I hit every learning style evenly and everybody gets the point within less than five minutes. Whereas a lot of instructors – if they're primarily visual, they'll lose their verbal people right away. And they're the ones that are, or, or, or worse, the verbal ones don't necessarily get belligerent, but they're that student that, that sometimes the instructor gets upset at because they're the one going, well, why? Why do I put my foot forward? Why do I move my foot at that angle? And it's not just adults. I mean, kids, kids ask why all the time. <laughs> they, they do it. 
and 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 it's and and some instructors will get frustrated. I'm like, they're always asking me, they just need to do it. I'm like, no, they're a verbal learner. They're not being disrespectful to you. They just want to know why you're moving your foot this way. Well, we're moving this foot this way because the line of attack's coming this direction. So we're stepping off the line of attack so we don't get punched in the face. If you took the time to actually explain it in those terms, then they're going to go, oh, that makes complete sense. But it's, it's, it's really trying to hit all three even. And we'll do that. And we'll spend an hour role playing, working each and every learning style individually, and then teaching the whole team and staff how to integrate all three. So by the end of the session, um, I don't want to say we for, perform miracles, but we get them to think outside the box. And the biggest reports I get from every workshop that we do is that a week later, two weeks later, not everybody's super jazzed about it, but they see the differences in class. And more importantly, it isn't the owner that sees the difference. It's the students are commenting, what happened? Normally, I would struggle doing this, but now I'm not struggling this. And they think it's them. They think, I must be getting better at this. They didn't realize their instructor finally understood, oh, I learned to communicate better. Um, the big phrase I always like to say is that it doesn't matter the subject that you're communicating, it's how you're communicating it that really counts, especially the children, which is one of the reasons you have me on today. Is um, it, that's, I, I don't care if you're teaching Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, Taekwondo, American Kenpo, full contact kickboxing, the subject doesn't matter. I've seen amazing instructors that teach Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu to children. I've watched them, I've seen them, and I go, that's fantastic. They're hitting all three learning styles, they're building rapport with those kids, fantastic. They're making it fun and entertaining for them, but at the same time, they're getting substance. And then I see other instructors who shouldn't even, for, for lack of a better way of saying it, should never touch a child because they get far too frustrated. They immediately throw their hands up at them because they're like, they just won't get it at all. It's 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 It doesn't matter what you're teaching. It matters how you're teaching in the communication style. That's a that's such a big thing to, to really reflect on yourself. I know in... Um, you know, I've, I've been helping martial arts school owners for probably about four or five years. And it's, it's been okay because people ask me what to do and I, I just go do it. And then when yeah. we, we started to form the martial arts media academy, where I, where I felt, all right, we've got to be teaching and coaching this stuff to really for, to help school owners get a better result. And it, it, it's probably been the hardest thing I've done is having to really reflect on how do I take something? Well, in this case, for me, it, it's, it's a complicated topic. How do I how do I serve the left brain? Um, how do I serve the right brain with stories and give it give yeah. it that visual component? Um, and and for, for for me, it's really been sort of the you know some people want the analytics, the logistics of things, and then yeah. other people want the story. And then you got to tie it in with a metaphor or something something that triggers off the pictures in the brain that exactly. that each learning style is really really grasping it at the end of the day. It's it's it. We call it the uh, one of the talks that I present a lot. I've been doing a lot the last two years. is called the empathetic instructor, and the definition of empathy is literally seeing the world from another person's viewpoint. That's very difficult. As much as you want to say, "Oh, I, I get it," you you never will. It's I always I bring my wife as an example. I can say I understand, but I don't understand. <laughs> I, I I'm not my wife. I'm, I'm, I've, I haven't lived her life, but how much closer can I get to really understanding? Can I really let the guard down in kind of a figurative way and say, 
how do they see it? So like when going, going kind of to the, that, what we're, what we're here for about teaching kids, what does a five-year-old see? Like when they see you do that move, you might be seeing like, and this is one thing I address a lot with, with veteran instructors. When you see me doing a jumping kick, you see the way I chamber my knee. You see the way that I posture up. You might see the way I loaded up the jump before I went up. You'll see the technical part of it because you're an advanced level instructor. You know what the five-year-old says? You jumped really high. They don't even notice you did the kick. They just went, you jumped really high. I think you jumped as high as a rabbit or a kangaroo. That's what they see. An instructor has to go back and go, what makes it exciting for a five-year-old? that you're telling them you're gonna jump as tall as a kangaroo. You're gonna jump as tall as a rabbit. You're gonna be able to, 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 to kick somebody that's this tall with that jump. That's gonna be what their trigger point is and what their motivation is for it, not to have the perfect jump kick to get a first place at a tournament. You know what I mean? Whereas that might be why the instructor wants to do it. It's what's the purpose and why do they wanna do it? So it's, we go back to the why game. Why do they wanna learn it? Why would anybody want to do it? Why would anybody want to follow through with it? And then looking at it from their vantage point. It's, it, it's funny because I do a lot of parallels between being an instructor and a salesman. Because what does a salesman do? What's the definition of a salesman? Not just to sell someone to you or sell something to you. A salesman is trying to fix a problem. If I'm going to a car salesman, why do I go to a car salesman? My problem is I need a car. My car is broken. My car is old. I need, I, need a, I need a solution. Why do parents, why do students come to us? Parents want us to solve their problem. What's their problem? My kid's really energetic. He needs an outlet for energy. My kid needs to learn confidence. My kid's getting bullied or, or harassed physically at school. I want him to learn to defend himself. My reason for teaching is not the reason why they want to be there. I want to know why they want to. And what the parents' why could be 100% different than what the kid's why is. And you have to be able to communicate that. So that's one thing we address a lot with the empathetic instructor is why does the kid want to do this? Why does the parent want to do this? Why, why does the art, the dojo, the school want them to do this? And then where's your midpoint where you're hitting all three at the same time? If that makes sense. Very much. Two things. One is I, I love how you mentioned uh, – jump as tall as a rabbit or jump as tall yeah. as a kangaroo because that's that's the visual component you were just talking about it's that all right cool i i, I you know I, I can i can picture that um then you mentioned addressing the the problem and something that i've always thought about as well is the parents the parents problem is not the child's problem at that point exactly. in time it's, it's a completely different thing so do you have your core your core problems that you work on or do you feel that you try and, which is probably a hard thing to do, but to be really personal with your students and try and be on top of you here for this reason, you here for that reason type of scenario? You know, it's, yeah, that's kind of, it, that's like a multifaceted question. I think, the be, I, think, I think the best way to kind of answer it is one thing that we tell our staff and, you know, we're, we're, we have a large chain of schools and so we, we actually have a big instructor training tomorrow. Um, and one of the things that we're constantly integrating to them and telling them is that black belt is the answer. 
And what I mean by that is it's, you don't you know, sell a black belt to somebody and that's the answer that solves their problems. Um, the path to getting a black belt will solve everyone's problems, everybody's issues. The path to becoming, so if you need more confidence, the path to getting a black belt will always rebuild your confidence. If you need to learn to defend yourself, the path to going to black belt is going to do that. If the parent needs their child to have more self-discipline, the path to going to black belt. So we always kind of redirect it to the one key black belt, this m- magical thing that when you become a black belt, through the process of doing it, you'll get everything that you want, but then you'll also gain everything that comes along with that plus more. Um, one of the questions I always ask to instructors is why did you first start training in martial arts? And you get a variety of answers. You know, I wanted to build confidence. My mom signed me up, blah, blah, blah. And then I asked the next question, why do you continue to train in martial arts? And it's always, almost always, it's a completely different answer. They started because they were being bullied, but they continued because they loved the life skills that come along with it. They started because they were having confidence issues, but they love how physically, like, I mean, how physically strong they feel because of doing it. And so um, I, I hope I'm not being too broad about it. We kind of channel it that way and make them know that through the process of training, through the process of goal setting, through the process of it all, they'll get everything they want plus more. Everybody will. And if you're a martial arts instructor and you've run a school for any amount of time that had students be loyal to you for five plus years, um, you, you understand that because you form such close relationships with them. And it's actually, you mentioned something about it, it might be difficult to form those like you know, one-on-one relationships. Um, it can be if you don't try. So whether you're running a school of 150 or you can do as many as like 600, if you're not trying to shake hands and really get to know everybody, um, then they don't feel that you're making a connection with them, which means you're not feeling like you're really guiding them in the process to that black belt again. Oh, I hope I hope that answers the question. I don't know if I kind of skewed a little bit. No, that's 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 perfect. That's perfect. So getting back onto the the kids, so we've we've covered the the educational part and really yes. really addressing the problems. Where do you bring the fun part? And I should mention that a few instructors mentioned that uh, your your energy is. Although it's contagious, it's it's almost um, like oh no, how can I not, why can I not be like that? <laughs> why can I not have your energy? So I, I can gather how you bring a lot of energy to the class, which will be fun for the kids. But yeah. again, how, how would you transfer that message over to the instructors? How do you focus on making the the classes fun for kids? Um, number one, and uh, is you. Uh, th- this this is funny because I, I I say this over and over again. The name of the company that I work for is Martial Arts First. We put the the martial arts is number one. That's what we do is martial arts. So I got brought up in a pretty kind of old school mindset that it was we learn to fight, we learn to break things. This is what we do. In the process of that, I have an instructor with Fred De Palma and Jeff Wolber, they make jokes constantly while we're doing class. They're having fun with us. They, they're praising us, but then at the same time, they'll make those offhanded jokes. And that's what you have to, you have to learn from a kid's perspective. You know, energy is, um, and actually let me kind of segue this a little bit. Um, before I teach, you know, I'm, I'm a business owner, so I'll do all my business stuff in the, in the morning and early afternoon. 
But before I teach, no matter what, I usually take at least 30 minutes to an hour of me time before I have to teach that day. Whether it's, so if I have a private class at 3.30, I'll leave this, even though I might've been at the school all day, at 2.30, I get in my truck and I drive. Even if it's going down to the uh, local store to get a water, or if it's just me taking a drive, because where my school is located, we're in the middle of a, a beautiful, beautiful mountains. So there's beautiful hilltops and I can just go through the neighborhoods and just kind of uh, take everything in. I play some upbeat music and I just completely shift my mindset that I have to be a performer that day. And that's where it comes in because if you think about it, especially from a kid's perspective, one huge part of engagement is that you have to keep the kids entertained. Think, think about the programming that kids watch from the movies, from, from, from the television programs to even, even like a YouTube video they're watching. Why are they watching it? You know, my own kids, you know, right before bedtime, my son says, I, I kind of finished watching this, this YouTube video because they're really into video games and gaming and stuff like that. And they're watching it and he, he has his earbuds in. I'm letting him finish it. And all of a sudden he just starts laughing hysterically because whoever YouTuber he's watching made some kind of joke. And, and you know, my, my, my kids aren't exactly um, what like, you know, their, their humor is not on the high level. He might have like made like some joke about the way the guy smelled that it was in the video game. And my kids just start laughing. But my kids want to keep watching it because they're trying to see not only do they see the content of what he's doing, but they're entertained by how he's presenting it and the jokes that he's making. And so that's a huge part of taking that hour before you have to go and teach, getting yourself pumped up and ready to be a performer. Um, I will make a preface. I was in drama almost my entire adolescent life all the way up into adulthood. So I did theater productions. I was in musical theater. And I think that all of that really helped. And I was in speech and I did debate skills in high school. So I was used to being in front of people and entertaining them. I even did used to do stand-up comedy when I was in high school at like the local, like, you know, coffee shop. Um, not very well, because I find my students laugh at me because if they don't laugh at me, I'll make them do more pushups. But, you know, that's 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 my that's how I get people to laugh now. But I think if you not only do you have to take the persona of being an instructor with kids, you have to understand you have to perform in front of them if you want to keep them engaged. Because one thing I tell instructors, I keep repeating that, but I tell this over and over again to, when I do these workshops. If you can't keep them engaged. They'll never learn that flying armbar routine that you wanted them to learn. They'll never learn that kata that you think is so essential to your art form that everybody must learn this technique in your art form because your art form is the essence of this. They'll never want to learn it if you don't make it fun for them in the process of doing that. And so like with kids, um, we'll, we'll make jokes but we will make sure to watch our humor so that it doesn't get too giggly. So like a, like a, a, a good joke we make all the time is um, uh, let's say uh, uh, what's a good example of today. What, what joke did I make today with the kids that made them laugh? We were um, doing like we were doing pushups. They were doing like a pushup set on the ground. They were burning out. And I'm like, come on, we can keep going. We can go. Do you feel your muscles burning? Are they burning? Are they on fire? Oh no, too on fire. You got to slow down. You got to slow down. No, too hot, too hot. Way too hot. You're hot, man. You are so hot right now. And the kids just start laughing because of the way you present that. But what's the kid doing while he's doing it? 
He's doing push-ups while he's doing it, and he's having us smiling while you're doing it. So that'd be like an example of humor kind of directed in the right direction with kids. Um, I'll also make it all the time where if I ever feel like the humor is going too far, then I'll bring everybody back in and say, okay, ready, feet together, hands your side, eyes on me, stand really tall. So we'll kind of bring the focus back into it. That's where some instructors either will almost go too humorous and then they lose the class completely. So it's very much a push and a pull. And we call it, we call, um, we call it the, the balancing act. You have to make sure you're right on the border where you're making yourself still kind of funny, but then you're still being serious at the same time. And you never want to be too serious with kids, but then you want, want to be too funny with kids. And that's kind of the process that we talk about. Fantastic. That that was actually my next question is how do you how do you keep that balancing act? Because it's you're either gonna to be too serious or you're gonna to be too funny. So you've gotta yeah, the push pull. Push pull. And and we 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 talk about being able to read your class and read how they're reacting to things. So like a good example is um one of my instructors today was teaching the uh, kids beginner class. It was a small beginner class today. I think there was like only seven or eight kids in it today. And um she was, you know, it's right, but we have our belt testing or belt grading, whatever you want to call it, um, this Saturday. And so they're getting ready for it. And you can tell some of them are kind of stressed about it. They're a little stressed because they know this is, a, you know, they're, they're moving up, their, their, their test is coming up. And so Sensei Chester, who's my instructor, started making a joke with them like, what? we're moving like snails. Let's all move like a snail. And then at one point, everybody's moving really slow and getting into it. Then at one point, one of the kids, and he, 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 he is our kid that does this. So we all have a kid that does this. He just takes it way far. And he's, when we say move slow, we're talking about, we're making everybody, you know, go slow motion block, slow motion move. He's standing there completely still. And of course, since I asked him, um, we're supposed to be moving. I am moving. I'm just moving so slow you can't see me. And then you, you you see that and the other kids pick up on it and they kind of start doing, well, I'm going to do the same because that's what kids do. You know, what, what when, one, when one five-year-old falls, what do the rest of the five-year-olds do? They all start falling because they think it's funny. So Sensei did the best thing and said, okay, wait, let's all move as slow as possible for five more seconds. Okay, great. Now let's be normal and go back to it. So it's, it's about giving that inch to them for a little bit, but then learning to redirect it and go, okay, now let's be normal black belts in the making right now and, and, and not be as goofy. And so it's read the class, but also kind of see the, okay, here, here's a way, seeing the signposts that you go, if I let them have one more inch of this, I know it's going to be a little too far. And that's one of those general things that if you teach long enough and typically instructors will know what I'm talking about when it does go wrong. So they'll tell me, yeah, I had this one class where I couldn't get them to, I mean, they were too goofy. They started playing around too much and I couldn't get them in. Usually I can talk to that instructor about the individual situation. And my first question is, well, where do you think it went wrong? And the, usually the answer is when I went along with the joke for too long, when I should have redirected it right away and started going back to the drill but i ended up and this is this is an issue that we uh we've talked about with our instructors i became a spectator and just watching the kids play off each other 
So instead of being the person that steps in and says, okay, guys, let's go back to the drill. Let's go back to the kata. I just kept stepping back going, wow, that's funny. Oh, that's really funny. Wait, it's getting too funny. And I did interject and step in right away. So that'd be one thing. I, it's very individualistic, but um, it's finding where that turning point is. I guess that's the answer to that question. Yeah. All right, fantastic. Henry, that's that's amazing. So we've got we've got really the empathy part. I really like that. Really, I guess yes. putting yourself on the other side of the table, really, really thinking of how you're being perceived in a way, being empathetic. Exactly. Um, so visual, auditory, and kinesthetic. Kinesthetic. Hands Making off. sure we, we, we master that. Keeping classes fun and having the balance act and really putting yourself in their shoes, how they learn. Um, I like the associations of really jump as high as a rabbit or as high as a kangaroo and really making sure that you put all those components together. So before we round up, I do, sure. have, one, I do have one more question. Two more questions. Sure, one where, where we can find out more about you, but one is where does Master C come from? Uh, country or, 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 or state? Master C. Oh, Master C. Oh, gotcha. Okay. So this kind of goes along with teaching with kids and you got to understand this. Okay. Um, so my name is Henry Callentog. Callentog being not a really overly complicated last name, but uh, when I first opened our Scotts Hill School, um, I taught a student, a little dragon. He was uh, probably four years old. His name was Greg Goulder. And Greg um had kind of he had a speech issue he actually was taking speech classes going through speech therapy because he had a little bit of a lisp so he was he had a difficult time pronouncing things he's a very emotional young four-year-old and when i introduced myself my name is mr Callentog. and usually i play a game with the kids and i say what's your name and they'll say my name's greg well and my name is mr Callentog. what's my name mr Callentog. what's your name what's my name and we'll kind of play it back and forth and I'll go, okay, now we're friends because we know each other. That's, that's been kind of my, my little tactic I've done for kids for years to kind of break that little rapport building shell. When I tried that with Greg, he couldn't say my name right. So he started stuttering and at one point he started tearing up because he knew he had a speech issue. And because he couldn't say Kalantog, here's a four-year-old boy in his first orientation class starting to cry. And I stopped him and said, no, 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 wait one second. Greg, you are like the coolest kid I know. You can call me Mr. C. <laughs> and, you know, he wiped his tears. Like, no one else calls me Mr. C. You can call me Mr. C. And now 20 years later, everybody calls me Mr. C or Master C. It just stuck because since he kept calling me that in classes, other students kept calling me that. And then it just kind of built up. So going back to teaching kids, it wasn't about me making and pushing him to do what needed to be done. What was he comfortable doing and what made him feel special because I made him feel comfortable. Amazing. Good story. Love yeah. it. Love it. Thank you, Henry. It's been great speaking to you. So um, sure. please share with us, where can people find more about you and MA First and all the rest? ma1st.com ma1st martialartsfirst.com ma1st.com we hold obviously we're in the US primarily and so we hold workshops we're, we're almost every other month um, we hold workshops in the US throughout 
everywhere from uh, we're going to be in L.A. area in September. Uh, we're back in Texas and I believe in November. And then next year, it's the big traveling schedule. We go to a lot of the big um, um, events. And of course, we're going to be in Australia. Uh, I believe rudimentary, the next main event um, is going to be in the August, September timeframe. So it's going to be a little later in the year. So it's easier for our Australian clients to kind of hit it. And we'll be available for seminars and events and instructor workshops while we're out there next year uh, in Australia. But yeah, ma1st.com. You can find out more about us. Um, and you can look about all the different features that we have. Kyoshi Fred De Palma, he's my instructor. He's also the man that brings me out and does all these wonderful things. Um, you can contact him for more information or myself. Fantastic, Henry. I, I look forward to that. I'll also be at the main event again in Good. next year in Australia. I am yeah. I, I am planning to come to the US though. Um, Good. So yeah, I'll I'll definitely get in touch. San Diego is a beautiful place. It is. <laughs> Awesome. Thanks a lot, Henry. I'll speak to you soon. And for the show notes, you can go to martialartsmedia.com forward slash 43, the number 43. Thanks a lot for being on, Henry. I'll speak to you soon. You're welcome. Have a great day. Ladies and gentlemen, that will conclude this evening's entertainment. Thanks for listening. If you need help building your martial arts school, check out martialartsmedia.com.